0: Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, we'll get a feminist guide to joining the resistance and a local media outlet on serving its community. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Ashley Ford. You know, I read an article last year where a politician said that children in America don't want a free lunch or reduced lunch and would rather have dignity in its place. Is this really the kind of stuff rich people sit around telling each other? That people who don't have enough to eat would rather have their dignity than food? What's so dignified about starving, unless it's a hunger strike? This is the narrative folks in power have been feeding the oppressed for a long time. It's better not to be looked down upon by those living in wealth than to be honest about the realities of living in poverty. It's the kind of thinking that leads to something called student lunch debt, when public school students accrue actual debt from not being able to pay for lunch. At school. Where they are required to be, by law, every Monday through Friday. Because of this debt, students may face consequences ranging from watching their food be thrown away in front of them because they can't pay for it, to not being allowed to walk at graduation. Last year, I started an online campaign that raised over $300,000 to pay off some of this debt for students across the country, and others are stepping up to do the same. Remember Philando Castile, the black man who a cop shot after he pulled him over and was told by Castile, as a precaution, that he had a gun? He was a lunch worker, and according to former coworkers, he would pay out of his pocket for lunch for kids who couldn't afford it. That legacy has been continued by a woman named Pamela Fergus, who raised enough money for a fund in his name to wipe out student lunch debt for all kids who have it in Minnesota schools. Now that people know that this is an issue, I think it's time to focus less on raising funds to pay off a debt that should never exist, and more so on changing the policy. On Twitter this morning, Slate's Gabrielle Roth suggested the philando Castile Act, a piece of legislation that would end student lunch debt accrual in the United States. I like the idea. I know there will be people who will push back about, quote-unquote, taking care of other people's kids, but no kids should go hungry in a country with so much to share. On the show today, as National Women's History Month gets underway, we'll meet the author of The Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance and then a visit with a local newspaper publisher on how he connects with the community and competes with giants. But first, these things. Conflict escalates. And waging war. That's how a couple of news outlets described what's going on between the Working Families Party, or WFP, and the Independent Democratic Conference, or IDC. Forgive the alphabet soup. But the WFP, a progressive party founded 20 years ago in New York, is aggressively backing a string of candidates hoping to unseat a block of Democratic state senators. That's the IDC, who vote with Republicans, giving them a legislative majority in Albany. Since 2016, awareness about the group has increased as state politics have taken on outsized importance, as progressives try to counter the policies of the federal government. We're going to have someone from Working Families Party on later this week, so stay tuned to hear more on this. Brooklyn had a moment at the Oscars on Sunday when Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez accepted the award for best original song, Remember Me, from Pixar's animated film Coco. Earlier in the night, host Jimmy Kimmel had offered a jet ski for the shortest acceptance speech. And Anderson Lopez, who wanted to make a statement about diversity and apparently had a lot of people to thank, said this.
1: Uh, We were going to go for the jet ski, but we're from Brooklyn, so uh, here we go. Doesn't
0: she know that NYC has 578 miles of coastline? Los Angeles County only has 75. And a few nods to National Women's History Month. Brooklyn Congressman Hakeem Jeffries is honoring his 10 favorite female rappers for the first 10 days of the month. Number 10 was Eve. Nine was Moni Love. Eight was Missy Elliott and her Hot Boys remix. Seven is Remy Ma on Brownsville duo MOP's Annie Up. And six is Lauren Hill on the Fugees, Ready or Not. I'm excited to see what his top five is, but if it doesn't include Angel Hayes, I'm over it. A sidewheel steamboat built in Brooklyn in the 19th century attained infamy when she sank in the East River in 1904. 1,021 people, mostly women and children, died. It was the worst NYC disaster until 9-11. It's commemorated in the March issue of Swimming World because it helped spur the women's right to swim movement. According to the article, the era of the disaster coincided with the era in which people believed strenuous exercise was harmful for girls' health. And even if they could learn to swim, their suits, or bathing costumes, would really ensure they sank like stones. And a feminist cocktail book, Women's Libation, illustrated by Bushwick bartender Marilee Grashen, has received renewed interest in March, with such cocktails as Frida Collada Pina Colada, and the Florence Night and Gale. We'll suggest another. You can just keep it simple and drink a Gloria Steinem of beer. Finally, we brought you a headline last week about an NRA fundraiser to be held in April by Brooklyn friends of NRA at a Coney Island restaurant, Gargiulo's. Well, after significant outcry from gun control advocates and local politicians, the restaurant announced late in the week that it would be canceling the event, which was supposed to feature gun giveaways. Stay tuned for our first guest. It's National Women's History Month. The 30th year, we've celebrated it, and we wouldn't be celebrating at all if it wasn't for women's resistance throughout the generations. So we thought we'd commemorate the start of the month by talking about a new manifesto to resistance for this generation, and at this time. We're thrilled to have with us the author of the just-published book, A Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance. She's also executive women's editor at HuffPost. Emma Gray, welcome to 112BK. Thank you for having me. It's so excited to have you here. I feel like I've been, like, reading your writing or knowing of you online for I some feel time. I the same. <laughs> but we're just now getting to meet in person, and I love it. So, we kind of all need a guide to resistance these days, right? Given what's happened over the past couple of years, resistance is fairly new to the community. As a
1: population,
0: it's new to us. But you wrote a book specifically for girls. Why?
1: So I think young women as a group are a group that are so often overlooked, Mm -hmm. diminished. Our voices are sort of pushed to the side. We're told to make ourselves smaller. And I wanted to write a book that was speaking to this current moment and encouraging young women to make their voices louder and bigger and to take up space. Mm -hmm. And given the moment that we are currently living in, you know, I think it is incredibly important for people to be involved politically, to be involved Mm -hmm. in civic action, because a healthy political system is one where all of our voices are being heard. And when people don't get involved, uh, we end up where we are currently, with the president we currently have. Right. I think one of the things that has been
0: surprising to a lot of people um, over the past few years is not necessarily how many things we disagree on, but actually how many things we do agree on, but disagree on how to make them happen or how to get there. One of those things that I've seen a lot of really, really lovely and lively um, and sometimes bad (laughs) conversations (laughs) about is feminism. So talk to me a little bit about how you define feminism.
1: I define feminism really simply, you know, it's the mm-hmm. social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Mm-hmm. I see it as that baseline. Of course, our approaches to what that looks like, what the priorities should be within that feminist movement mm-hmm. definitely are going to differ, Right. but I think that a feminist movement needs to be inclusive, we mm-hmm. need to be listening to each other, and it needs to be intersectional. Right.
0: And how does that play into the idea of resistance? You know, some people will say, you know, feminism is one thing, resisting is another thing. Um, And you could say that about basically anything, right? Like, if I talk about being an anti-racist, it's like, I might also be talking about my feminism, and I might also be talking about resisting. But I think sometimes uh, these labels and these identities or whatever, for some people, they put up walls and they think those two things can't intersect if they have different definitions. But you consider yourself both a feminist yeah. and part of the resistance, correct? How, did that, how does that work with itself?
1: I think that, as you said, these labels can be useful for us to organize ourselves around. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to identify with things, we want to find community around these labels. At the same time, all of these different causes, all of these different issues are completely interconnected. You can't have a feminism that isn't addressing racism as well. Right. And so, you know, together we rise, right? When we understand the way that all of these different political issues intersect Mm -hmm. with each other, then we can actually create solutions that aren't just a Band-Aid, but instead actually, you know, addressing a real structural change. Right. And there have been a
0: lot of books coming out recently about resistance and about feminism. You know, some people are going to bring up uh, Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist. They're going to bring up Jessica Valenti's Sex Object. They're going to bring up, you know, This Will Be My Undoing. They're going to bring up all of these different books and compare them to yours. But what sets yours apart?
1: First of all, all of those books that you named are essential, and Mm -hmm. I would say that we can never just depend on one text to give us everything. Right. But what I was aiming to do is give both an argument for, hey, this is why you should care right now, Mm -hmm. and then here are really practical ways that you can begin to get involved. And when you start to falter, go back to this book, regain Mm -hmm. your energy, and say, oh, look, I can just follow this script and call my representative twice Mm -hmm. this week. Or I can log on to this app and I can track... X legislation, or, mm-hmm. hey, it's okay for me to step back for a bit and I can practice self-care mm-hmm. and let me go look at what that is. Right.
0: Talk to me more about those practical ways. <laughs> I love—listen, love, I'm a Capricorn through and through, okay? <laughs> so the minute somebody says, these are some practical ways to address it, I'm like, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I signed up for are practical ways to do what I'm trying to do out here. What are some of the ones in here? Obviously, you just said calling representatives, yes. practicing self-care. Yeah. So
1: I think calling your reps is probably the most essential because Mm -hmm. we have literally hired these people to create legislation and run our government. Right. Um, But also I include a list of different apps like countable, like five calls that Mm -hmm. will actually hold you accountable, that you can actually track different issues that are are happening, different legislation that's being discussed. Mm -hmm. You can Be reminded every day something like daily action which will literally text your phone every day and say this is one thing that you can do today so I really appreciate solutions like that because Mm they are things you can tap into that will then you know keep going it'll send you something every day and yeah go beyond just what can I do on this one day or this one week and then I briefly mentioned self-care but I Mm -hmm. think it's so so essential the news can be overwhelming Trying to be involved all the time is incredibly exhausting. And while I think it's both essential for us to be educating ourselves and showing up, it's also essential for us to give ourselves permission to turn off our phones, log off Mm -hmm. of Twitter, and actually do whatever brings us joy to recharge that internal battery, whether that's a night in at home with your family or, like, binge-watching Netflix, which is, you know, my personal choice.
0: (laughs) Now, as somebody—and I love that you say that. But at the same time, you're an executive editor at HuffPost. How do you unplug? How do you turn off the news
1: when you are, you're making the news? It's certainly uh, more of a challenge when you have to be paying attention to the news professionally. Right. But I do also set boundaries. On the weekends when I'm not working, I allow myself to not tweet for, you know, at least— 12 hours, right? I I, and I need to be really, really intentional about that because Mm -hmm. I could be sitting at my laptop or on my phone just engaging with the trolls 24 hours a day. Girl, and that is draining and not productive. So
0: that is true. true. Draining and not productive. So, you know, I hear a lot of people, um, especially right now, Talking about the need to do something, talking about the need to create something, to be part of whatever shift they feel needs to occur in the country right now. For women specifically, where do you think it's most important to be channeling our energy Mm -hmm. right now?
1: I think it depends on the individual. What Mm -hmm. you need to do is find one thing. To start, find one thing that you feel deeply passionate about, Mm -hmm. something that you have the energy to run not just the sprint but the marathon on. And then look up who is already doing the work around this issue Mm -hmm. and ask them, how can I show up for you? How can my time and my money and the tools that I have at my fingertips go the farthest? And tap into those networks. Because the beauty of this is... People have already been doing all of this work. Right. No matter what thing you feel the most strongly about, someone right. has been there before you. Someone's been laying the groundwork there probably for decades, mm-hmm. and you just need to show up.
0: Just show up. Just be—you know, someone um, recently talked about the difference between an ally and an accomplice and how an ally might agree with you, and they might even say they agree with you but an accomplice will be on the ground with you. I love that. And I really, really love the idea of those things being different, right? Because there is a difference between somebody who says, I believe you, Mm -hmm. but I'm gonna go and do this and work on it my own way, and the person who calls and says, I know you've already been working on this and I wanna help, what do I have to do to stand beside you and move this vision forward? I think that's amazing. I think that's an amazing thing to do. So I have to ask this one question that's just like, Obviously, I was going to ask this question because you wrote this book. What advice do you have for women and girls who right now want to be a part of the resistance and they want to join?
1: I think own your story. Mm -hmm. Use your narrative. Understand that your experience, your lived experience, is so, so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. And use the tools that we all have access to social media, I mean, we're living in a moment where look at what the Parkland teens have done. Mm -hmm. They have wrested the microphone away from the president of the United States and Mm -hmm. dominated the media conversation just using the tools that they have. Half of these kids can't even vote yet. And yet they are using Twitter and Instagram and their platforms to amplify other gun control activists, Mm -hmm. to amplify their own experiences, and they're Mm -hmm. creating real change. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to change the world overnight, but use, again, the tools that you have at your fingertips and your story and understand that that can make a difference.
0: Emma, can you tell people where to get the book and how soon they can get it?
1: You can get this book right now on Amazon at Barnes & Noble and at your local bookstore.
0: Fantastic. Emma, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been a delight. Thank you. The New York Times, Daily News, The Post, heck, even AM New York and Metro seem to take up all of the newspaper oxygen in the city, if not the ad revenue. But as we've mentioned on this show before, the much smaller local and ethnic press in New York has a larger combined circulation than the Giants. In an ongoing series, we plan to speak to many of these more modest outlets, some of which are facing tough times, to spotlight their local journalism, the communities they serve, and the challenges they face. Recently, I had a conversation with David Greaves, publisher of Our Time Press, Founded in 1996, it's one of the borough's oldest community papers. I'm so happy to have you here today. Happy to be here. Can you tell me just a little bit about the history of Our Time Press?
2: Our Time Press started in 1996, um, actually uh, with the Million Man March in '95, wow. I went down there and um, got inspired, mm-hmm. came back, and I uh, spoke with uh, my, my wife, um, Bernice Green, mm-hmm. and said, um let's do something you know want to do something in the in the community and we put out a one one page um, thing called coupon news mm-hmm. printed 10,000 copies g- gave that out wow. and i said uh, you know let's let's do a new newspaper mm-hmm. and uh, that was in november and we started up the newspaper in fe- feb- february mm-hmm. and um people often say how do you just suddenly decide to right. do a newspaper <laughs> <laughs> how do you a newspaper right it was because of um uh, quite frankly, who, who we are. Right. Uh, my wife and I met in, jun- in ju- junior high school, mm-hmm. and um, uh, she went to Sarah Lawrence. I went to um, uh, Syracuse and Columbia. Mm-hmm. She had a very high-powered job at CBS and at uni Group in terms of public relations and uh, right. happens to be a br- brilliant person. And I was... Um, uh, <laughs> I'm not a slouch either right. um, no <laughs> I'm slouch. not a slouch either you So I said, the, I said between the two of us you know, How hard could it be? We found out how hard it could be right. But uh, we were able to do it It started out as a monthly mm-hmm. And then it went to um, twice, a, twice a month and now, right. and now it's a weekly
0: What was the need that the newspaper filled For the community for sure. you?
2: What I saw for the local papers was a lot of pop pop culture kinds of things. Um, right. um The the covers of the pay paper would have some star on it or some celebrity right. that kind of thing. <laughs> right. And I said, this is not interesting. I want to tell people about have news that people um, don't see all the time that they won't find any place else. Mm-hmm. Things um, targeted at the you know, African American community and the kind, kinds of things that we problems that we deal with and opportunities we deal with. Right. So um, uh, so that's where. That that's where that that's where it came, came from.
0: That sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you and your wife um, are products of bed yes. correct? How have the changes in bed and there have been quite a few changes, mm-hmm. affected the way you cover that area?
2: Um, well, you know, let's see. I didn't um, think of co- covering it, of course, when I was um, uh, <laughs> younger, coming up. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would think, but the um, ch- changes have been <sighs> hasn't affect really our our coverage. Mm. Excuse me what we do cover is um like we have a lot of um local things on the on the cover we have a lot mm-hmm. of um chul, chul, children on on the cover you know As a matter of fact this was- remarked that um uh, the other evening where we have um our time press has an unusual number of covers with chul, ch- children on right. it we happen to have two on on uh, two pictures on of them this issue why is that kids like to see themselves in the paper they because <laughs> like. There it is. And their parents love it. My, you know, I get five copies of that. You know? Oh, yeah. And and it's fun. And it is fun because I know what that feels like. You know? Right. And um, uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, politicians, celebrities, you know, they're in mm-hmm. the paper all all the time, you know, right. with their picture out. Sam. But you have a kid in there and he's smiling. I'll tell you, it's gold. <laughs> you know, when
0: I was in... Second or third grade, mm-hmm. uh, I did really good on standardized testing, uh-huh. th- mostly just because I have a good memory. Uh-huh. And my mom took out um, an ad in the local African-American paper in our community. Right. And everybody in my family still has that paper. <laughs>
2: That's everybody
0: right. in my family, sure. all of my aunts, everybody still have yeah. a copy yes. of this paper of second grade me Absolutely. smiling and my mom saying congratulations on Absolutely. doing so well on your testing.
2: I think that's um, true for our time press all all over central Brooklyn, that they have those things.
0: I love that. How have you seen the neighborhoods change just in the time of you living here?
2: Well, buildings are going up like crazy. Buildings are going up like crazy. Obviously, there's a lot lot of uh, white white folks moving in more Mm so um, than when I I was um, growing up. Um, having said that i was um I grew up in bedford uh, Bedford Cyrus in Crown Heights right. and at that time Crown, Heights, Crown Heights where i was was mostly um Jewish and a matter mm-hmm. of fact I was a what they call a Shabbos Goy. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I would plug pl- pl- plug in things that they right. would do on friday night so um uh but that's has changed a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> so so um uh Absolutely. the de- demographics have moved you know um um the the buildings have gone mm-hmm. high. There's no more open space right. um, uh, we used to be able to take our um bicycles into botanic gardens and mm. you know ride around yeah. that kind of stuff. You didn't have to pay to get into Brooklyn Museum. you could wander right. through it you know? <laughs> so um that's changed you know that's that's changed, and it's, it seems like it's become more uh structured i say um more contained that is you mm-hmm. can't you don't have the freedom that you used to have. To, um, not as much uh, access. Not as much access. You know, Brooklyn Ch- Children's Museum. We used to run in and out of there, no problem right. whatsoever. You know, um, it's not that now. No. No, you can't do, do that. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any cultural institutions around here that you can just sort of go into, walk in, you know, <laughs> look look there around, and really. walk out and come out again. Um, so um, so that's that's that that has changed. changed you a have lot.
0: brick. People are you always welcome to come into brick.
2: Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's
0: that. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about what changes you've seen in local media and that landscape mm-hmm. over the past few years that you've been doing that?
2: Sure. Well, lo- local media has, um, has changed a lot because of the um, Internet. You know? Right. Um, when we started, uh, there were no, if you will, the only other options to advertise, for example, small small businesses with flyers, et cetera. Right. So as a result, when we started, we had a lot of um, small, small businesses. We had a lot of small businesses in the paper. Then, mm-hmm. as the internet <coughs> evolved and it came around, people mm-hmm. said, "Wait a minute! I can send out an e- e- email blast." You know, right. I don't think that's as effective, but <laughs> and yet, but people insist yep. on doing it. So, um, uh, so that's changed, 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 a lot for the small, small advertisers. Right. And then we also have to, as we learned in this, um, as we're learning with the, if you will, Mueller investigation, mm-hmm. that um, uh, you have to be mindful of the kinds of things that are directed at your community, you know. Mm-hmm. And because um, uh, they were tar- tar- uh, t- targeting—they, um, divi- the Russians, tar- targeting divisive issues, that kind of right. thing. And I said that—I uh, wrote that the, um, the next thing that might happen in the black community, be mindful of the first you know, hour what comes mm-hmm. out, because that's, uh, that's something that's planned and structured. And right. um, uh, so uh, just be careful. And anything that sounds um, uh, uh, divisive, um, uh, understand. Take a minute. Take a minute. Take a minute. Dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. And if you say, yeah, that's what I felt. That's what I felt. (laughs) They push that button. They push that button. So just uh, relax for a second. Exactly.
0: I really like that you're saying that. One of the things that I'm wondering, especially with local media right now, is, you know, We've had people on, like, the Brookliner was having issues with funding, um, DNA Info, Gotham. a lot of people that are doing local news are having issues with funding. How are you guys staying afloat? Like, how is it working out?
2: Individual ads. Um, we, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, we, um, we have um, ad- ad- advertising. Um, mm-hmm. We also have, um, after a long struggle, we're able to have the le- legal notices, and that helps. Good. You know? Good. So, um, uh, but, yeah, it has become a really hand-to-hand combat down right. here on the ground <laughs> you know, yes yeah.
0: so can you tell me why do local communities need their own media and not just be looking at mainstream media yeah. coverage
2: because local media is um, the only media where the pu- pu- publisher picks up the phone right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's you know, uh, yeah. people call up and say Here's what the problem is. I got phone calls right now. Wow. People call up about their losing their homes, you know, foreclosures, that kind of thing. Family and things. Obviously, that's not what we do. We're not right. a social agency, but people read read the paper and they say, mm-hmm. "Ooh, these people care about what is that's happening to me on my block," you know. And right. so they call us, and um, we can't help all. Of them. But there are times when we, oh, great, stories stories right. come out of that. Absolutely, stories come out of the phone. Phone calls. So, so it so. seems like
0: there's more of a, a symbiotic relationship with local media between the people who are doing the writing and the covering and the actual oh, community. Absolutely. You guys have a lot more trust oh, and yeah. access to each other. I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me w- if somebody wants to check out our Time Press and maybe they want to go online to check you mm-hmm. guys out? What's the URL?
2: Oh, uh, they go to ourtimepress.com, mm-hmm. and um, that's our web website. Of course, obviously we're on fa- f- Facebook. We're mm-hmm. on um, what was it Instagram? Oh yeah. Wherever my daughter got
0: <laughs> <laughs> So you got you got yourself a social intern. A That's social right. media Social so
2: social media. I would not call her an in, in, intern. Not an intern, you know, but, but yeah. But she is a uh, my, my sole social media person who says. daddy Don't worry, I got. That.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take care of it. I'll yeah, do exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation, mm-hmm. and I hope you get even more people
2: checking out our Time Press. I hope so too. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Tomorrow, Jarrett Murphy will be back with Democratic congressional candidate Max Rose, trying to unseat Republican Dan Donovan in the 11th Congressional District, which includes Southern Brooklyn. And more on the Black Literature Conference taking place this month at Medgar Evers College. Hope to see you then. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargie, Emily Boghossian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Havasak, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leith,
1: and Sasha Mathias.